You're listening to the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, your host, Ben Eagle. Please remember to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 222 of the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. For today's episode, we're doing a revisit and being very nearly the festive season, Christmas turkey business seemed a good shout. Way back in June 2017, for episode eight of the podcast, I visited Essex-based turkey farmer Paul Kelly. I wanted to see how life and business has changed for Paul since my first visit, and I was thrilled when he asked me to come down to Chelmsford and have a chat. I started by asking him to explain the business and some of its history. So the business was founded in 1971 by my parents, Derek and Molly Kelly. Dad's 93 now, and still in the business. He still comes into the office every morning. We, we lost mum 12 years ago. Um, but yeah, so they found the business. And Dad, previous to that, actually worked for Bernard Matthews and some of the bigger chicken companies. Then he worked for an American breeding company that was floating on Wall Street didn't make the float, ran out of cash, so that went, that brought Europe down with it. So he pretty much had enough of the big companies, so he decided to go on his own. And he had the choice then between brown eggs, which was a real niche at that point in time, or Christmas turkeys. So thank God he chose Christmas turkeys because there is still a niche in there. The brown egg market is pretty much of a commodity. So Yeah, and, and back then, what was the size of the market? And, and was he, because he was, was he doing something quite radical or were there other no, people doing the same? The, the market there, I mean, the dynamics of the market have changed so much since then. I mean, basically, a small company had a couple of thousand breeder hens, tiny little hatchery, supplied poults to farmers throughout the country. And most of those farmers would then grow turkeys that supplied Smithfield Market. Okay, now... That was in the early 70s that he started, and that was the business model, really. Hatching poults to supply farmers that supplied Smithfield and maybe a few butchers. Then the times went on, of course, during that period of the 70s, there was a massive change in the market. Butchers were going out of fashion like crazy. In 1960, there were 63,000 butchers. Now there were about 5,000 butchers. And the route to market was basically through Smithfield markets and the Birmingham markets. So those farmers that we supplied as a breeding company, Dad was supplying there, would then just load transit vans and lorries full of rough plucked turkeys, put them into Smithfield. The butchers came into Smithfield, bought the turkeys and took them back to the shop and gutted them. Well, butchers were going out of business like crazy because the supermarkets, of course, were taken over. And traditionally, supermarkets sold frozen, butchers sold fresh. And the dynamics were changing. Suddenly, the supermarkets with better processing techniques, gas flushing, refrigeration, they started to sell fresh turkeys, competing directly head-on with the butchers. So, all those farmers out there they don't know anything about supply and demand. So they were all growing their 500,000 turkeys, plucking them, putting them onto Smithfield Market. There were not the butchers going to Smithfield, the numbers of butchers going to Smithfield Market. So the volumes weren't there. If you look at 1981, 82, they were the worst years in history for the turkey market. They basically collapsed. There was a complete and utter oversupply of turkeys coming onto the market because there just weren't the butchers there to buy them. Yeah, they're gone and there'd be no adjustment in volumes grown on farms. So that put an awful lot of people, you know, out of business, you know, not, and including ourselves, we weren't out of business, but we were insolvent. You know, back in the early 80s, I came back into the business in 84, and it was, you know, it was a disaster, it was a nightmare, because yeah. things, so actually, supermarkets were taken, taken over. 
Yeah. But they were industrial turkeys, wet processed, and they just were a commodity turkey. But of course, the butchers and the independent farmer was not promoting their point of difference. Now, it was a dry pluck turkey. It was a slow growing breed. It was grown on the farm, but they would pluck it, stick it in a plastic bag, and have no no marketing. And of course, we were our whole business was the little the breeding division we had was supplied those farmers that were having a really rough time. And you know, and we grew a few turkeys for Christmas that would a lot of them would go to Smithfield. So we had to change direction or go out of business. It was kind of a gamble. So I mean the bronze turkey. So I came out of college and we talked about it with Dad and I said, Well why don't we do the you know the old traditional bronze? And of course we had a collection of rare breeds and I said and not only that, let's start to free range them. Let's go back to do something really different that the butchers can differentiate that was our marketplace against the supermarkets of course you're trying to do something different without any money (laughs) and doing something that is absolutely against the tide and I remember you know we're going out to butchers and they said Paul you know said it in the last one we don't people don't like bronze turkeys they don't like the black feather stuffs in the skin you know but you know we were pretty well that's designer stubble that's showing it's a real Farmer's turkey, you know, market it rather use it as a positive rather than a negative. And what what was the moment when you thought, you know what, we're turning the tide here? There's actually a shift in this direction. Yeah, it was. It, so we, we launched in 1984. David Lidgate in London had about 50 or 60 of them. In 85, we officially thought, you know what, we've got to run with this. Or so 85, we started it, and it was just a nightmare. We didn't have any money to promote it. People didn't want it. <laughs> um, we were getting lots of press because it was new, yeah. So we got the media on board, but the, um, but we had three years of hell because you're going from producing white turkeys to bronze turkeys. So you've got two programs going on, and some do want bronze. Some and you're getting the numbers right. Um, but to be honest, when I realised we we were cracking, it was 1989 when Delia came to the farm. Right, Delia heard what we were doing. She came to the farm put us in her Christmas book and suddenly we weren't the laughing stock of the industry anymore we was you know we were starting to be taken a bit seriously and of course then I we started to get the phone calls yeah butchers you know those Kelly Bond for you know can you do us a couple of cases can you do us a few so they were phoning us yeah but, it, but me trying to sell them but it really was a, a decade of hard times and, um, yeah I was saying you know six years those 84 to 90 were no, 89, you know, we're just awful because it would be so, if I'd known that it would have been okay, it would have made it enjoyable yeah. <laughs> because you know you've got to go through the pain to get there. But when you're going through that pain, not knowing actually, right, is it going to work? Uh, but we, we just, and it was hard work. But of course, what that does is make me appreciate, and does appreciate everything we've got now. I mean, I can't believe you know, how if we have everything now. Yeah. Yeah. So you go through that pain, of course you appreciate it all, but no, it's, it's, you're trying to sell something that you've got no money to market it, and, and I laugh when you go back and look at <laughs> some of the stuff we did to market it, you know, you know the stick, the copy, or these little flyers, and oh, it's awful. Okay. But you had to go through all <laughs> We that. had to go through that, yeah. you know? And just to get, and just to get to where you I think to. the big thing, because I think the main thing that where we were really successful in marketing and just getting out there was that the press would phone us up and say, can we come to the farm to have a look? And they, and I would say, of course you can. When do you want me to pick you up? Anytime you want. Chelsea Station, we're 15 minutes. Just, we welcomed, we had open doors to everyone. Anyone, we never said no. Okay. 
And of course, they would make that same phone call to some of the bigger companies and there would be panic in the boardroom that, oh my God, they want to come and see what we're doing. Yeah. And of course, they're doing it. And things are much, much better now. They open doors, but, you know, and there'd be panic. And then they get put this agency in London, to, the PR agency, would say, for Christ's sake, don't show them. Which is bad. You know, and I'm still, I still now say, and the industry is so much more open, but if the acid test for me, and still is now, always has been, if you're not willing to show your customers what you do, every single bit of it, if you're not willing to show them that, then you have to ask yourself a question. Are you really doing what your customer wants? Mm. Because then there's too much in agriculture still where those doors are closed. That attitude towards an open doors policy was something that Paul picked up on in my first visit to him six years ago. For me, it's this attitude which has allowed for him to build trust with his customers and with celebrity chefs. And as a result, his brand has grown. The Kelly Bronze is now one of the key established Christmas turkey brands out there. But what is the Kelly Bronze? We set out, I'd say, the early, you know, when we started in the early 80s, what, it's just to produce the best turkey we possibly can. Uh, so that was all about having a really slow-growing breed that was going to get to maturity at the right weight, you know, at five kilos. We want a fully mature bird. Growing it, you know, as the free range, you know, in the free range, and recently we moved more to woodland growing, so we're growing the wild in woodlands. Um, and then the dry processing and the hanging and then the packaging and then finally the cooking instruction. So the Kelly Bronze in itself isn't just a breed, you know, it's a brand, but it's a whole chain of events that produces the Kelly Bronze. Now, we do other products, other lines, but the Kelly Bronze is our flagship, and the discussions we have is what can we do to make it better, and not can we do to make it, what we can do to make it cheaper. Yes. Yeah. so much we can do to make it cheaper. You know, the Kelly Bronze is the most expensive thing you can produce. We can produce organic turkeys way cheaper than a, a Kelly Bronze. Okay. Yeah. So it's their hatch natural season, late spring, early summer. Then they're released. Actually, they grow through into four seasons. Yeah. So it's the it's the age of twenty six weeks, whereas your average turkey is twelve weeks now at Christmas. They're twice the age. Then the dry plucking. You know, our labour costs are something getting on for ten quid versus through a factory you can do it for about one pound twenty. And then the hanging, wow. you, you lose two percent in weight during the hanging process. So it, you know, all of that adds up to make it really expensive. But I do, it upsets me as a turkey farmer to see what's happened to the fresh turkey market in the UK because they're they're processing turkeys now from breeds that are not designed or bred to produce a quality whole carcass. They're designed and bred for meat stripping and they're killing birds when they're the right weight rather than when they're ready to eat. And... Turkey now has a really poor reputation for being dry and flaky. And, you know, I'll, I'll very quickly add some analogies I use, which is, I think it's, it just puts it all into context. Because if you got, if you look at what's happened to the turkeys over the past 30 years, they've been killed younger and younger and younger and younger because they're just going faster and faster and faster and faster. So and there's five physiological changes in all livestock. You get blood supply and nervous system, then vital organs develop, then skeletal development, then muscle is laid down, and the fifth and final one is fat. Final stage of maturity is fat is laid down. Well, those fast-growing breeds now that are bred by the big international breeders are designed for the world market, which is stripping meat off the bone. Yeah, they have blood supply nervous system, they will have vital organs. But they're processed at 12 weeks, they're still in their skeletal development. 
The only muscle they have is enough, you know, like a very young teenager, is enough muscle to move around. Yeah. They haven't laid all their muscle down and they haven't even got into anywhere close laying fat down. And of course, fat is flavour, mouthfeel. Yeah. And all the carcass development, the carcass that you get from a fully mature bird has got bone marrow in it, deposition, it produces a wonderful stock. So, and that's, you know, so when they're killed in stage three in their skeletal development, they've got enough muscle, they haven't got meat and they don't have fat. It can be bronze, it's 26 weeks, not 12 weeks, and we'll, we will get 50% more breast meat. Mm-hmm. The same bird weighing the same amount will get 50% more breast because it's fully mature. The, the other one, it's got a huge carcass. Yeah, it's all a bone. It's a bag of bones, really. Now, but of course, it's cheap. Yeah. Killing them at 12 weeks with food conversions of 1.9. Bang, it through a factory at, you know, 4,000 an hour. It's uh, cheap, cheap, cheap. This episode is being supported by our primary sponsor, Howden Rural, which is the new name for A-Plan Rural. The Howden team shares my passion for giving a voice to farmers, and we have both driven to raise the profile of farming voices to a wider audience. Howden Rural do a lot of work on social media themselves, sharing farming accounts and farming stories. They have a rural community blog which shares farmers' experiences, and they also support a growing number of initiatives that champion UK farmers, including this podcast. So a big thank you to Howden Rural for supporting Meet the Farmers. I was interested in where Paul believes the Christmas turkey market is going. He made the case to me that an increasing number of consumers are heading towards the premium end of the market. Whenever I'm talking out there to retailers, the standard white fresh turkey is under pressure. Okay. Yeah, because I do believe there's too many people have it at Christmas Day and are disappointed. Let's be totally honest and frank about that. And that's what the industry haven't really addressed that because they're wanting turkeys at £4 a kilo. Most of the big of that standard fresh turkey, they're lost lead anyway. You know, so Tesco, when they're losing money anyway, they're in no mind, no mood to pay more for a better product because it means they're going to lose more money yep. when they're beating each other up on, on unit price. But the reality is you cannot produce a really good quality turkey cheaply. You can't do it. And there's this huge debate and of course turkey should be competing with beef for Christmas lunch in terms of price per kilo and it's just being beaten up on price all the time but actually to produce a good quality turkey costs money it's so cheap now it's being produced absolutely down to how cheap can we get it per kilo regardless of what it tastes like yeah and as an industry it's a shocker because we have this one day of a year to showcase our product and there's too many people eating out of tradition rather than really looking forward to their Christmas turkey. We next reflected on the last five years for the Cali Bronze business and I asked Paul what he had been focused on. It was clear that succession was high on his mind. I'm 60 now. Toby, my son's coming to the business. He's 29, so he's now full-time in the business. My daughter's coming in in March. So the next generation is in. So the past certainly three or four years, being like, right, where is, where do we want to go as a business? And if I have a look at the breeding and hatchery side of it, we supply 25% of all the turkeys sold, fresh turkeys sold at Christmas through our hatcheries, poults. That's pretty much mature, that market. We don't want to do any more, but I think we're certainly being asked to do more. So there's potential for growth there. 
I think we have a wonderful little brand that we only utilise at Christmas and all our breeding stock that we process in August at the moment goes into box standard commodity meat. Okay. Well, we've come up with a charcuterie range. We're doing salamis, confit thighs, super breasts. So we're utilising that um, and just adding value to our breeders. Over the years, we've always been asked by restaurants, you know, we want, a, we want Kelly Bronze all year round. Well, actually you don't because it's just too expensive. It's all right for Christmas Day, that premium market. People will pay a premium, but not on the weekly market. Yeah. So, but the breeders that we've got, just the salami they make is unbelievable. Because they're so mature and fatty, we don't have to add any added fat to our turkey salami. And the confit thighs we do from the breeders are just full of fat. They're just absolutely delicious. Mm. So we're going to use our brand, I think, to add value. But we've been making sure that we're in control of what it tastes like because... I know from experience with just even our Christmas production, lots of restaurants wanted to have Kelly Bronze on the menu, and you put them into a restaurant, you try telling a chef how to cook a turkey. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, you just get, you just nearly get grabbed by the scruff of your neck and thrown out on the street. Yeah, Don't e- you tell me how to cook a turkey, you know. Even from you. Ah, even from, yeah. And I, you know, and you can do it in such a way that I know, you know, but just, you know, the Kelly Bronze is really different, and let's go, right? I'm the chef, you're the turkey farmer. Yeah. And too many times they did it as they wanted, as they've just always been to oh, cremated the thing. That comes out on the plate with the name Kelly Bronze attached to it in restaurants. So we stopped doing food service from restaurant trade a long time ago, except for a select few. So, but this way, by doing the confit by, and by doing charcuterie range, we're in charge of what it's going to taste like. So that's the future for us. So that's, I see more for the business going forward, we'll be doing more of a range to sell weekly. Grow, growing the meat side of our business more, and I think the breeding and hatchery division will hopefully not grow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, we're keen asked to do more. So uh, is the, the potential for us as a business, I think, at the premium end, is great. Meet the Farmers is brought to you by Rural Pod Media, the only podcast production agency to specialise in the rural sector. We're on a mission to make rural stories mainstream and help businesses, organisations and communities like you tell your story through podcasting. Podcasting is a fantastic way of connecting with your audience, whoever that might be, getting your message out there and networking with leaders in your niche. Rural Pod Media can help you by launching your new podcast or helping you with the technical side. We also provide podcast training and an audit service if you already have a podcast you're not sure where to take it to next. For more information or to book a call, visit ruralpodmedia.co.uk. That's ruralpodmedia.co.uk. Again, when I was last here in, in 2017, uh, we were talking about challenges. And of course, we were Brexit was fairly fresh then um, as an idea. And, and one of the things you raised then, one of your biggest fears, I suppose, going forward to the following years uh, moving on, was Labour, yeah. was the Labour situation. Yeah. What's the reality been? The two biggest single threats, stroke problems for our business is what disease. You know, we've seen that Labour influenza. That's number one. And number two is Labour. Because we're such a seasonal business, we need huge seasonal peaks of labour, um, and we have a visa. We don't have, we have a visa scheme for Christmas, but you know, but that's five hundred pound a person. You know, spread over a few weeks' work. It's incredibly expensive, incredibly bureaucratic, and 
it's not fit for purpose actually. Whilst the government thought they were helping us with this visa scheme, and in theory that is, they've given us two and a half thousand visas that we can apply for to bring them into processed Christmas, turkey, Christmas poultry. Um, but the reality is, it's really hard, and very expensive. That doesn't help us with our with our season in the summer, with the breeding season, because there isn't a visa scheme for that. Okay. The seasonal agricultural worker scheme is just for horticulture, yeah. not for any livestock business. So it's it's our single single biggest issue by a long, long way. And that is, which you know, going back to the early 90s, the only thing stopping our business growing was access to the European labour market. And that, that will be the hindrance now. I've got no doubt getting good people. You know, we've tried to recruit 30 people in August for Christmas locally. And we had got two. Nine people applied. And the nine people that said they would come for the interview, three turned up. And of that three... We recruited two. We're thirty miles from London. Yeah, we're just in a, you know, just in a in an area where there is totally full employment. And in terms of your confidence level for that getting better or worse, where does it sit at the moment? I would say worse at the moment. If I was to be honest, because you know we're banging our head against the wall with the government. They all, Defra, are on our side. They see the problems. They know the problems agriculture has. For getting labour, it's the it's the Home Office of the issue, because of you know getting the votes, controlling the borders. They just don't want to be seen to be doing anything that could be perceived as letting the migrant labour in. Mm. So it's a, no, it's it's it is stopping. It's stopping us doing more. No doubt about that. So we can't grow the business now because of labour. Hopefully, we'll be able to stay where we are and do things better with what we're doing and get more, you know, just adding a bit more value to any waste that's going on in the business. But, yeah, I wouldn't want to, no. To say, you know, to breed a business, we could do more, getting seasonal staff in the summer. Can we, the question is, can we maintain what we're doing? Wow. I've even looked at moving it to Europe, moving, like, Abiogen, and moving a lot of their farms over to France because of border controls. It's costing us a fortune export. Yeah, and live, when you're exporting livestock and hatching eggs, if you have delays on the border, it, I guess it cost us 30 grand last year in return shipments and just hassle and aggro, that before we could pick up the phone and sell something and deliver it. Now, you know, you've got to go through so much paperwork and health certification. You know, it makes me angry. Thinking more positively in terms of your story from those five years, and this is was only really starting to develop um, again when I was here last time. Is your US story um, yeah, 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 of, yeah. of Kelly Bronze over in the states? Tell me about that. Yeah, no. well, so we bought a little farm by we just bought just bought it there in Virginia. Yeah, and of course we started from scratch out there with no brand awareness, nothing. So, and of course the first two or three years for me was making sure that we had the agriculture right and the quality right. So it's only the past. So we're not six years ago now. It's only the past two or three years that I've actually, you know, that's what this screen's all about set up behind us here. So I'm now doing live shows to regional TV and national TV in America on the Kelly Browns and just starting to preach the story. But no, it's not easy. You know, it's not easy at all. But you know, we're doing four thousand turkeys there. But and our we're just doing direct mainly to consumer via FedEx. And, but I think it could get to be twenty thousand and be a lovely little business out there. And yeah. it's fun. Yeah. We're doing it, we're at least we're starting it. I've got a bit, got a bit of money this time, and I know what to do. It makes a little difference. <laughs> Just a little more about our primary sponsor, Howden Rural, which is the new name for A Plan Rural. 
Same people, different name. Howden Rural provide bespoke insurance cover for farms and estates. This could be for anything from tractors and machinery to a new exciting diversification venture. So for more information, visit howdeninsurance.co.uk forward slash rural. In 2020, the farm experienced a terrible fire, which meant complete rebuild of the site. I was keen to take a look around the farm, so Paul took me on a tour. But before we looked around, I asked him to tell me about the fire. So anyone who has listened to the first episode, episode eight with Paul, will have heard um, and do go back and listen to that, the story of uh, a fire um, that Paul had here back in, was it 2015? Father's Day 2015. And people say that lightning doesn't strike twice, but sometimes it does. You had another fire here in 2020. Good Friday, 2020. The whole lot went up in flames again. That was a forklift fire. And the first one was an electric fire, and the second one was a forklift. The forklift battery got too hot. And when the fire, when the fire engines arrived, actually the fire wasn't in the building, but the forklift just got under the cover sheets, and that was next to the packaging store, got into the cardboard, and just swept through the building. It was a, it was horrible. That was eight o'clock. It started at eight o'clock at night. Is when it all kicked off. Good Friday. A, a big thing to go through Dare I say personally let alone the business yeah you know I mean well we had it was, it was, uh, the first one was in June this one was in April and of course at least I'd been through it once so I knew what it took and what was in what was needed to build a factory but so that was the upside uh, to be honest the second one didn't phase me as much in terms of getting the job done before Christmas but in terms of not again surely please it's, why but it is what it is you can't move forward as I said to everyone we'll see the problems are there to be solved indeed this is like control this is the one thing that I did do when we had that you know the first fire was bad enough the second the one thing I had learned is the stuff that you need to be reading which is temperature temperature is king and brought everything in one to one control room so we've got all the cameras in here all the screens all the fridge controls so you can come in here you know and you can literally see what's going on at any time you know, and all the fridges everywhere. So it's a, it's a bit like a, it's a bit. It gets to be a bit like a pantomime sometimes <laughs> about the safety thing. You know, it looks highly organised and everything, but you know, I actually go, oh my god. <laughs> the great thing is you've got a brilliant team, haven't you? We have got an amazing team, and that's you know, it's uh, we've got. You know, I'm really proud of the fact we don't have staff turnover. People come and join us and. You know, been with us for years. That's the problem. We're all getting to be 60 plus. <laughs> so, you know, Toby's coming in, my daughter's coming in, so we, we do need to be conscious of that. As a seasonal business, you know, we have so many assets that only work for a few weeks of the year, like our hatchery is a, you know, it's a two and a half, three million pound asset that only works for 14 weeks. Our factory here only works for a few weeks, but you absolutely liken it to a combine harvester. It's a huge asset. Uh, you know, a combine only works for three or four weeks. Yeah. You know, we're getting a little bit more than that. But, uh, you know, our hatchery and our processing plant is a combine harvester, the equivalent of, and again with fridges. You know, but these two buildings here, I would say, are, for a seasonal business, the best utilisation we get because they'll produce, in January, we'll bring breeding stock into here yeah, and we'll produce eggs right the way through to August. August, they get depopulated to make those charcuterie products we talked about. Yeah. Then this gets completely cleaned out, and then we brewed about 30,000 pulps. 
for other customers that are growing a mid-tier product. That gets cleaned out yeah. in about sept- mid-September when they get moved out to range. Then we clear it out and everything, and then we turn them into fridges. Yeah, so, so, these, so it's multi-use through the year. So actually, we get full utilisation of these buildings, even though we're a seasonal business. So this is one of the big, biggest things we have changed since we last year. We've got this lovely yard here. I bought a 20-metre strip of land from the neighbouring farmer it's so we could put a, yeah, put a concrete <laughs> yard in. But here's our living accommodations. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So That's we've got these stuff. bunker bin pods that come in. They're all people, two, two people. They've all got ensuite shower and toilet. And then we've got lovely canteen facilities at the back. Because that was one of our, you know, to, let's be honest, you've got to have nice places for people to work. Well, this is a key thing, isn't it? Again, no matter what sector of the industry you're talking about, yeah. if we want to actually attract good people, yes. you have to provide those basic facilities. Those basic facilities that are good, clean, work, you know, like we are doing pizza nights, we're doing hog roast nights, we're doing burger nights, you know, bringing canteens in. Yes, it costs money, but don't look at it. It's not, it is a cost, but actually you're investing. You're investing in your workforce. You know, for them to get up in the morning and think, this is a great place to work. You know, you heard the music in there. We put music throughout the whole factory. Yeah? And we do have breaks and we'll have a little bit of fun and we'll have the pizza nights, you know, and all those things that actually, you know, keep the morale up. Because we're going to have some bad days in there where I we're going to ask them to work. Can you stay till midnight, guys? We've just got to get these packs. We're behind. You know, we'll have some good days. Well, let's finish early, guys, too. Let's all go out and get a pizza and here's, a, you know, three or four cases of beer. Let's yeah. have a beer. So... It's, it's just treating people yeah, like you yeah. want to treat yourself, isn't it? And in this line, you, you have to work a pace, don't you? Last year, last December was the first time that I'd ever plucked turkeys and geese. I'm not sure I'm going to be doing it again, but it, it gave me a real insight into actually, yeah, that this is, yeah, this, this can be pretty, pretty hard graft. It is really hard, and the organisation that goes into it. But, you know, if you fifth, 40 years ago, 35 years ago, when we were doing 5,000 turkeys for Christmas, rough plucking them and sending them up to Smithfield if you told me we'd be doing 96,000 and yeah. gutting eviscerating every single one of them and I would have laughed in your face yeah. not possible yeah with that in mind though I mean how do you uh, as a business owner as an agricultural business owner go through that shift of growth because there'd be a lot of small farmers out there who this is a completely different sort of way of thinking isn't it totally and of course the problem we've got is cash flow you know it's a hatchery business we have Money comes in in August for the poult, July and August, and then money comes in in January. The rest of the month is all out. When you're growing Christmas turkeys, you know, every single one of them, you've got 35, 40 quid invested. Yeah. Yeah. So as you're growing as a business, you've got to fund it as well. Yeah. So, and then... Not too the, many holidays to the Caribbean, then. <laughs> There's a few now. <laughs> there weren't then. <laughs> Things have moved on. <laughs> I've got two, two final questions. One of which I asked you last time. That's uh, what. Just sorry, what, what, can, what continues to get you out of bed in the morning? I'm lucky. Yeah, I do. And of course, there's times when you go, "Oh, jeez, I love it." You know, I love what I do. Hopefully, the next generation will have that passion. Dad had it. Dad had the passion. You know, I have actually got the passion to do things well and invest for the future and just do great stuff. And you know, my kids are way smarter than me. There's no doubt about that. But have they got the passion? I think they have. Yeah. I do think they have because you need it yeah. if you're in business without passion if you're doing something you don't really want to do you'd be, it's hard to succeed yeah. and, I mean, you're hopefully not going anywhere anytime soon but no. I'm going to ask the question anyway in terms of your legacy um, both with this business and I suppose 
turkeys at Christmas more broadly, what would you like your legacy to be? It's very simple. I really want people to be buying a turkey at Christmas that tastes great. And so I want to, it makes me angry when people say turkey's dry and flaky as well. You get a good turkey and it's moving that way. Because you know, I don't think you cannot produce a really good turkey, as I've said, you cannot produce a really good turkey cheaply. You can't do it. Paul, thank you so much for showing around the film today. It's been great to just reflect back since, since my last visit. Six years. Six years. Yeah. Good luck. Happy Christmas. Great to have me on the show. Thank you very much. That's nearly it for today. Huge thanks to my guest, Paul Kelly, and to Marissa for organising the visit. Thanks to our primary podcast sponsor, Howden Rural Insurance, whose support means that we can keep making episodes of the show. Next time, we'll be heading to Shropshire to speak to farm manager and founding director of the Green Farm Collective, Michael Kavanagh. Before we go, though, let's go back to Paul and get his messages for the public and for farmers. See you next week. Let's start to wrap this up. Um, and I always finish the show with the same two questions. Um, the first is, Paul, if you had a message for the public, any message, what would it be? One message for the public is to support the local butcher and the local farm. Because if they don't get that support, you know, if you don't use them, they won't be there. It's encouraging. When I talk to butchers now, there are, they are seeing the younger generation come in to their shops. Okay. It's not just the other generation. So, but, you know, a message to the public, please, please use your local, you know, and it's such a tacky thing to say because it's passe, isn't it? But, you know, use your local butcher, use your local greengrocer just to keep, make sure we keep that healthy food and local food industry going. And your message to farmers? My message would be to farmers, whatever you're doing on your farm, think that you've got a camera on you, a television camera, watching you 24-7 do stuff and think, what am I doing here that the consumer wouldn't like? And then really address that, because it's just a matter of time, I think, before there can be big exposures. Not that we've got anything to hide, but we need to make sure that we're doing stuff that's right and in the consumer's interests and what they would be really, really happy to see on a farm.